A Shana Tova, good new year to you, to your family, and to the Jewish people throughout the world. There's something very strange about Rosh Hashanah. I wonder if you've noticed. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the 10 days of penitence culminating in Yom Kippur. And therefore you would have thought that we should begin that process of penitence with penitence, confessing our sins, Hashamnu Bugadnu Gazalnu, Al Chet Shechatanu, Slach Lano Vinu Kichatanu, etc. Slach Machal. And yet, of course, if you look in the prayers for Rosh Hashanah, there isn't a hint of any of this, none of it, not one real word about tshuva. What there is, is talk about malchiot, zichronot, v'shofrot. That's the basic structure of Musaf, God's kingship and sovereignty over the universe, his remembrance of things past, and the shofrot, the clarion call of the ram's horn. Those are the basic structures of the Musaf Amida, and they're about God, they're not about us. And uh, when we try and define Rosh Hashanah in terms of the Machsa, we see Hayom Harad Olam. Today is the anniversary of creation. It's the birthday of the world. Nothing about tshuva in that. So little hints here and there, little hints. Zachreinu l'chaim, kasvenu l'chaim, writers in the Book of Life, Bring us back with perfect repentance, but we say that at other times of the year. So there is virtually nothing about penitence on Rosh Hashanah. Why not? I mean, you know, why leave the penitence to Yom Kippur, the very last moment, please God, oh, I've just thought about something, I've sinned, I've committed, etc. It's an extremely strange thing. And I worried about this, I thought about it for years, there's something missing here, what am I missing? And in the end, I discovered the answer through the people who I came to know who became my mentors in moral courage, and that is the Holocaust survivors. Now, every Holocaust survivor had a different story and had a different way of coping. But by and large, there was a general pattern, which is that they did not talk about what had happened to them. They didn't talk about it to their spouses or to their children for years and years, sometimes many decades. They just avoided the subject. What did they do? They said about making a home in a new country. They said about having a family, getting married, having children, because most of them had lost their families in any case.
They said about having a job, building a career, building a life. They said about helping and strengthening one another. And only much, much later, often 50 years later, did they tell their story. Sometimes wrote their story or got somebody else to write their story. Many of the survivors that I know, knew went around schools, non-Jewish schools, as well as Jewish ones, telling their story to the pupils because they really wanted them to understand how precious and how fragile freedom actually is. And I suddenly realized that there was a simple structure to what they did. First, build the future. And then you can remember the past. I knew a very, very successful businessman who was struck by some very savage blows of bad luck. The result of which was that he lost almost everything he had built. Would have been a devastating blow, I think, for anyone. But he was a man of iron will. And he worked day and night for 10 years to rebuild what he had lost. After 10 years, he happened to be giving a talk and he said, I'm going to spend the next minute saying something I haven't spoken about for 10 years. And he referred very briefly to that blow of bad luck. And he said, I haven't spoken about this because I knew that if I spoke about it before 10 years had passed, I simply would not be able to carry on. And from him too, I learned First you build the future, and then you can remember the past. And that is when I understood the relationship between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is about the future. It's about um, the Shana Tova. It's about the Jewish future, because what do we read about on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? The birth of the first Jewish child, Isaac and the birth of the prophet and kingmaker Samuel to the previously childless Hannah. Children are the symbol of the Jewish future, and that is what we choose to read about on Rosh Hashanah. Then, once we have prayed for the future and thought about the future and our responsibilities for it, then once we have secured the future on Yom Kippur, we can remember and lament the past. Sometimes the past is so difficult that if you focus on it, you fall into depression and despair. And the Jewish way is to say, no, just look forward and build a future. And then when everything is secure, you can turn back and look at the past. That to me is the message for this very, very challenging year.
We have just passed through a year of the coronavirus pandemic, which has been, in many ways, the worst crisis the world has faced since the end of the Second World War. It's been very, very challenging. It's been hard for everyone. It seems to me that the most important thing to do is to focus on the future, not on the past. I don't think we should spend particularly these precious moments of spirituality lamenting the past when the first thing we have to do is secure the future. We actually have to ask and pray for God's help to be able to mend what has been broken, to rebuild what has been destroyed, to heal what has been harmed, and to begin to build the future together. That is the spiritual imperative of this moment. Just a few weeks ago, we lost one of the great figures, leaders, and teachers of our generation, the late Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, Zechet Sadig Livracha, Rabbi Lamb, president of Yeshiva University, one of the great thinkers of our time, one of the great speakers of our time, one of the great institution rescuers of our time, because when he took over as president of Yeshiva University, the university was facing almost certain bankruptcy. He lifted it from bankruptcy to the most remarkable financial help, health. I don't know how he was so good at fundraising, uh, but he was exceptional. So he rebuilt Yeshiva University, but he really sustained the whole Torah Umada philosophy of the university by what he wrote and what he organized through things like the Orthodox Forum. I want you to tell, tell you a little story about Norman Lamb because it taught me so much. I knew Norman Lamb quite well. But the first time I met him, um, he didn't know me at all. It was 52 years ago. It was 1968. I had gone to America in 1968. That was the year that Simon and Garfunkel counted the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike, they all came to look for America. I wasn't counting the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike. I was counting the rabbis in, uh, in America and going around to visit as many as I could. And I wanted to meet Rabbi Lamb. I had heard about him. So, you know, with my typical polite English understatement, I phoned him up and I said, Rabbi Lamb, I've just traveled 3,000 miles to meet you. Do you think you could fit me in? <laughs> Well, you know, chutzpah works, says the Gemara. So, um, uh, so he said, yes. I mean, he didn't know who I was. I was 20 years old. I was a sophomore. I was a nobody. And this man, who was already rabbi of the uh, Jewish Center and professor of Jewish philosophy at Yeshiva University, sat with me in his office in the shul for an hour, for an hour, talking me through the various approaches to Torah Umada and the difference between Rav Shimshon Revel Hirsch's approach to, uh, to uh, Rav Cook's approach and how he preferred Rav Cook's approach and so on. I have never kept a diary. I have never made notes. I'm remembering this for f 52 years ago. And then he 
did something that I actually found extraordinary. He said to me, where is your next appointment? So I told him. It's the other side of Central Park. He said, let me take you there. And this man got up from his office and drove me to my next appointment. I mean, sorry, forgive me. I, I don't know anyone who would do something like that in the middle of Manhattan I, on a busy day for a student 20 years old that he never met before and had no reason to see in the first place. This was Menschlichkeit in capital letters. It was absolutely extraordinary. But on one occasion he said to me, Jonathan, you know, there's only one joke in the Mishnah. And I said, what's that? He said, well, he said, Talmidei chachomim marbim shalom ba'olam, rabbis increase peace in the world. He said, that has to be a joke, right? I mean, the more rabbis, the more rabbis. That must be a joke. And I said, Rabbi Lamb, if I may suggest, <laughs> it isn't actually a joke. But to understand it, you have to go to the end of the sentence because it says, Marbim Shalom Ba'olam, Shnema, as it is said, V'chol Bonaich Limudei Hashem V'Rav Shalom Bonaich, the verse from Isaiah, all your children shall be learned of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Al Tikra Bonaich, don't call, don't read it, your children, Ella Bonaich, call it your builders. I said, if rabbis are children, they do not increase peace in the world. But if they are builders, they do. And the proof is Moshe Rabbeinu, because when he got the Israelites to build the Mishkan, there was no argument between them. Absolutely none. There was perfect peace. Why? Because they were building. Rabbi Lamb was supremely a builder. It's what he dedicated all his life to. And it was a privilege, a privilege to know him, and it was a privilege for our generation to have a man like that in our midst. I have to say that that is our challenge in the coming years. So much has been lost, so much has been destroyed. We have to become builders. We have to build that future. Then we can go back and think about the past. But not now, not yet. That is not the tzav hasha'ah, the command of our time. First, let us build that future. Let us repair everything that has been damaged. And let us build something even more beautiful in place of that which has been lost. May Hashem give us the strength to build. And in that building, may we find peace. Shana Tovah.